0: 5 through 14, if you want to follow along. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, every children in the third and fourth generations. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped, and he said, O Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. The Lord replied, Listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation." And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Lots of words. Be very careful Uh, never to make treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their asherah poles. You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a God... Who is jealous about his relationship with you? The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Dan. My husband Fred and I got married in our <clears> thirties, and we had both been in ministry for a long time as single people. Fred fifteen years with Euther Christ and myself for nine years in pastoral ministry. One of the things that we had to talk through as a couple and through premarital counseling is how to safeguard our marriage we both work in uh areas that put us in contact with the in close relationship with people of the opposite sex and so uh for fred and youth for christ many of his close colleagues volunteers and of course club kids we're female and for me in pastoral ministry i too work with a lot of colleagues and congregants and volunteers who are male so fred and i actually were very comfortable with that in each other's life we weren't afraid of it at all we in fact it was something we enjoyed about each other's ministry but we also knew uh, and with wise counsel that we would need to safeguard our marriage like any couple needs to safeguard I'm going to be honest with you that some of the old safeguards uh that we're used to or maybe that the church kind of put on us for a long time just didn't work well with us they didn't kind of rubbed us a little bit the wrong way uh somebody i totally respect billy graham i know is famous for having said you know he would never be alone with a woman other than his spouse and that kind of became a big one of the safeguards at churches well couple of things okay don't hear disrespect but a couple of things one it's not super realistic uh two i had met so many people who waived that safeguard proudly and who then had affairs in their lives. so okay not not but not the perfect solution there and then <clears throat> excuse me three we also witnessed it be one of the ways that women are sometimes shut out of important collaboration conversations with the men that they work with. So we said, that's not gonna work for us, but we wanna protect our marriage, you know, for sure. So some of the things that we have done is that we communicate about our schedules. Like we know, uh, Fred's in Oregon City today. He knows I'm here. We know who we're having lunch with. If we don't in the moment, we will by the end of the day, okay? So just being open with one another and regular communication. We don't want any surprises for each other when cell phones came along yeah we're that old we were married before so well no fred had a big honk and self you know one of those big car phones <laughs> <laughs> thought that was so cool so but but once the cell phones that we have now came along and texting became a big deal another safeguard for us is he knows he can pick up my phone at any moment and scroll through my texts Same goes for me. I can pick up his phone and scroll through. Do we really ever feel the need? No, we don't. We trust each other. But just having that safeguard there, that simple freedom to pick up that phone is a safeguard to both of us. Our first year of marriage, we lived in Seattle because Fred was working with Youth for Christ up there and we, uh, I was the good spouse going along on a, a youth, camp, or youth snow weekend, and we had just started uh, the trip out of Seattle <clears throat> when this really cute, perky little 20-year-old came and sat down in the seat right in front of us and turned around and talked to my husband for the next two, uh, aka flirt, with my husband for the next two hours. And, you know, now if you know Fred, you know Fred can talk. So that didn't seem odd to him at all that somebody would talk to him for two hours. But as the day wore on later, I pulled him aside and I said, hey, you know, you just might want to be aware that that 20-something, she's really been flirting with you all day. Oh, no, he said. She's just friendly. (laughs) Okay, yep. Six months later, that, unfortunately, that young woman ran off with her boss, who happened to be married to someone else. He has, Fred has zoned in on my intuition ever since (laughs) that occurred. Well, um, neither of us, I have to say, are particularly jealous by nature. It's a, we got plenty of other problems. We do not have a perfect marriage, but we're just not jealous by nature, so that's not a huge thing for us. But there are absolutely appropriate times when we have to realize that someone poses a threat to the marriage vows that we have taken with each other. And let me just put that in perspective that has only happened twice in 30 years of marriage where I knew there was a purposeful threat to our relationship. At the opposite end of the spectrum about jealousy, I grew up in a home, I've mentioned a little bit about my dad before, there was, he was a troubled person, Love my dad, can I just say that? And I get why he was troubled, but, but he was often angry and always jealous over, about my mom. And whenever she, especially if she would, Talk with other men and uh, being a high school teacher and a community leader, that happened a lot. And my dad was always jealous. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't healthy, and it certainly wasn't godly. There's a reason that uh, jealousy we hear sometimes referred to as the green eyed monster, right? It can turn us into something ugly. If this is your, uh, for example, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I I got confused in my own notes, nothing new. If this isn't perhaps your first time here or you haven't been here in a while, you may be sitting here wondering, oh, maybe they're entering into a series on marriage. Well, no, we actually aren't. We are actually doing a series on the emotions of God. If God is all-powerful as Christians believe God to be, then emotions, especially the three that we've started off with in this series, hatred and anger, and today, jealousy, well, then those emotions can be potentially terrifying, especially those three. I think I've mentioned before, as a little girl, I was terrified of God because I completely imagined him to be just like my dad which most kids do we don't know any other way to know God than through our parents and so I thought if God looked like that angry and jealous and emotions not well controlled even at six years old I knew we were all in big trouble if that's what God looks like and he's all powerful yikes So most of us somewhere along the way in our life have experienced behaviors around emotions that were pretty negative, either within ourselves or within a family member. It's easy to think of the jealousy and the behaviors we've experienced on a human level, human context, and take those and transfer them to God, What can be helpful and what I hope to do this morning is talk about a couple of different types of jealousy. It's helpful to understand that there's a jealousy that protects the relationship and there's a jealousy that destroys. Last week, Pastor Mike talked about anger and said that real relationships, every real relationship we have will experience anger and therefore a relational god also experiences anger jealousy also is an emotional is a relational emotion in exodus excuse me where our uh, passage is found this morning the bible uh, by exodus the bible has taught us some things from genesis on that we know for certain about god one that god loves people He desires our good. And three, he wants to be in relationship with us. The particular people of the Old Testament, known as the Israelites, were a people that God had chosen as his own with a purpose. In fact, it is God who uses the marriage relationship all throughout Scripture to compare his relationship with his people as to that of a man and a, a husband and a wife. Both are sacred relationships. Both have covenanted to keep that relationship exclusive. We've covenanted to say, I'm not going to put anybody else in this sacred place that my spouse belongs. I'm not going to put anybody else, any false gods in the place of where I have covenanted to put God in my life. A promise has been made, and we are in process of always keeping that commitment to our spouses and to and to God so God gave Israel a purpose which was to help all the nations know him and to know that he is the one true God of all the earth but many of the nations that Israel came in contact with and encountered worshiped a plethora of false gods and great harm came to humanity through their false belief systems which is always what happens. When there's a false belief system at work, you can bet that humanity's gonna suffer from it. And in this case, um, let's say, for example, they, maybe they believe that their God was angry at them. And so to do everything they could to appease that God, they did all sorts of frantic and bizarre worship rituals. They sacrificed humans, in the process sacrifice children literally they ha, uh, acted out sexually in all kinds of ways they manipulated their own bodies to try to please god and god yahweh said i find that detestable people are being harmed because of their nations and the worship of false gods so by exodus 34 which, by the way, is about 2,500 years from Genesis 1. I think that's helpful. You know, it's Genesis, Exodus. We think, okay, well, this happened and this happened. Well, it's really 25 years from creation to Exodus 34. So God's got a lot of experience with people at this point. And in Exodus, as you may be well aware of, God is in process of freeing the Israelites who had been enslaved by Egypt. And God miraculously brought them out of slavery with the goal of leading them to a beautiful and fruitful land of promise. In the New Testament, we see God do something very similar when Jesus pulls on human skin and walks with humans to live with them and then eventually to lay down his life on the cross for all of humanity to free us from a different type. Of slavery, to free us from the slavery of another brutal taskmaster, sin, that we might live free and know the goodness and the fruitfulness and the promise of God. Both in the passage read this morning and then through the life and teaching of Jesus, we know that God is filled with unfailing love and compassion and faithfulness. God says of himself, as you heard read, I am a God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger. And all of that would, we'd see put to the test in this episode that Psalm 30, or Exodus 34 is pulled from. Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, And he is receiving from the hand and the heart of God commands and instructions, not just for that moment, not just for those years, but commands and instructions that would help humanity thrive for centuries without collapsing, imploding socially and morally into a hot, violent mess. They had important work they were doing up there on that mountaintop. But the people down here at the base of the mountain, well, they were getting a little bit bored. And they were just gonna take things into their head, heard from Moses, wait, man, what's happened to Moses? He's gone, I think, let's just do our own thing. So they asked Moses' brother, Aaron, to build them an idol they could worship. And so, I don't know, Aaron must have been having a bad day of leadership that day. Whew, Mike, don't do that. <laughs> Any of us, because he gives in to the people. He says, okay. And so they melt down all their gold and they create. I don't know if it, I don't know that scripture says it was an actual calf. Maybe it does. But anyway, it's an idol made of gold. And the scripture says that the people began to worship and they fell into a wild and pagan filled time of, actually, the scripture calls it a party. Because they don't even call it worship. It was a terrible time. And as if that wasn't bad enough, after all that God had set them free from, all that God had brought them through, if that weren't bad enough, they begin to give credit to this false God as the one who brought them out of Egypt. Wow. So God gets angry, and Moses gets angry. And the gift of those tablets, when Moses brings it down the mountain, they get broken into hundreds of pieces. The passage we heard, and in the the process of all that, God says, yeah, I'm, I'm not traveling with them anymore, Moses. You go, you take them, okay? So the passage we heard this morning is actually Moses' second trip back up the mountain, because there is no way Moses is leading that people if God's not going with him. And so Moses is back up and he is begging with God. He's, he begs God to forgive the people. He begs them to travel with them and to reclaim them as, the, as God's own special possession. And God recommits. Mike talked about uh, the emphasis on prayer Let me tell you, when the people of God talk to God, God responds. Moses talked to God, asked him for forgiveness, asked him to step back in, and God responds. Because guess what? God wants to help people flourish. God wants to to have this exclusive relationship in which people can live and thrive. So God agrees to Moses' pleas, and he does command in return that the Israelites would not make any covenant with any of the other nations that do not follow him, and that they would not, inter, that they would not intermarry with those outside of the faith. And then God finishes by saying this. You must worship no other God. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. It would be very sad to be married to someone who had just didn't care at all if somebody else pursued you. Wouldn't it be? That's kind of the opposite of somebody over here who's just jealous all the time, which is, we're gonna talk more about that, to not giving a rip if somebody else is pursuing your spouse. That would be so crushing. Well, that is not god god says i am jealous over my relationship with you david lamb who is the author of our big read the emotions of god which i hope you're reading quotes augustine who said he who is not jealous does not love so love is to want to protect the relationship that you have with someone And Dr. Lamb, because this is so important that we get this, he goes on to compare an unhealthy jealousy to a healthy one. And he calls the unhealthy jealousy, the one that destroys, he calls it a suspicious jealousy. And the healthier version of jealousy, he calls a reactive jealousy. So let's talk about those two a little bit, just kind of clarify a suspicious jealousy is one that reads into everything the other person is doing. They think that every time that person is texting, that they must be texting some other man or woman. Suspicious jealousy accuses it. Oh, that late night at work last week, I bet it wasn't at work thing at all. It's suspicious. It, it's accusatory The behavior of suspicious jealousy can range anywhere from trying to be controlling over who that person talks to, who they have contact with, all the way to becoming uh, out of control anger and abuse. Remember the green-eyed monster? That is suspicious jealousy. Suspicious jealousy is always destructive to a relationship and sometimes even to the physical well-being of the other person. Reactive jealousy, on the other hand, is specific to a situation that has occurred. It's never a vague accusation. The incident that I used for my uh, marriage, first year of marriage with the the 20-something, it was a specific incident that I was present to observe. In marriage, reactive jealousy doesn't always involve another person. Sometimes it does, but it's anything that would bring harm and threat to our relationship. Maybe it is too much time spent uh, with a group of friends. Maybe it's too much time at work. Work commitments can, we've heard it what? Called the other mistress, right? When somebody's job is the other, the thing that's threatening the work or the, the marriage or it could be screen addiction or a group of friends. Those are type of reactive jealousies when we recognize this thing in my spouse's life could threaten, excuse me, our relationship. Where suspicious jealousy is born from a lack of trust and fear and sometimes the need to control, reactive jealousy is not and it's where suspicious jealousy is accompanied by angry, threatening communication, suspicious, and let me just pause here, I meant to say this earlier. If you are experiencing that kind of jealousy within yourself, that suspicious, and you, you know it, you've got a suspicious jealousy going in your own life, or you're in a relationship where that is being aimed at you, we really encourage you to seek counseling. We have a wonderful uh, referral list of Christian counselors. Don't, don't keep going down that path. You need to seek some help for that. And because, friend, it will, it will damage your life and destroy your relationships if unchecked. And know that God does not want anyone to experience that kind of relational jealousy in their relationships. So reactive jealousy, healthy jealousy is based on a real threat, and it's characterized by honest, grace-filled communication. You know, the nice thing about God is that God fully and completely knows our heart, and completely knows the hearts of those that we're around as well. God's always right. He always sees clearly, always seeks to protect the relationship I will admit to you that there are times that I just flat out tell God that it gets a little irritating sometimes that he's always right. (laughs) But in reality, I am thankful. I'm deeply grateful that God does know and that God takes a lot of guesswork out of of life, right? Am I right or is God right? Yeah, guess who? (laughs) It's always God. And he is always out for our good. So that can be a relieving and uh, reassuring part of our communication with god he's protect he's committed to protecting the relationship that we have with him god also knows if the enemy of our soul has found an in to pursue us god knows if something has caught our eye or or caught our interest in some way that indicates danger 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 In Exodus 34, 12, God tells the Israelites, do not pursue this type of relationship. Do not pursue the relationship with these nations or or marry people outside of the faith because if you do, you will follow their evil ways and you will be trapped. Trapped is being somewhere you don't want to be and you can't find your way out. Okay, that's it's something that's enticing in the beginning ends up being a trap a little bit of time later. God is not controlling, so hear that. God is not a controlling God. He's given every one of us free will. We have the choice to make the choice that, that we're gonna make, but God is right there with us to say that he has come to give life abundantly, and that we, if we will follow the ways that he has laid out, it will prevent us from getting trapped and entangled into things where we don't wanna be. When we participate in, when we pursue things that are not godly, probably everyone in the room knows this, we've experienced it at some degree, we get pulled in faster and uh, deeper than we ever intended. God is jealous for us. God will come after us. That was one of the songs we sang this morning, God will kick down every door, climb every mountain in order to get to us. God will protect if we'll let him, but we have to open that door. One of the Hebrew words that is sometimes translated as jealousy which it is in this uh, passage we read this morning, is in other places translated as zeal. So the jealousy of God is not just a positive deterrent from, of protection around us, but in the, it's also, uh, it works as a positive triumph of life over death. We see that at work in one of uh, Isaiah, one of our favorite passages, Isaiah 9, so often read at Christmas time. This is what chapter 9 says God will do. Break the yoke of slavery. Break the oppressor's rod. Lift the heavy burden. I love this part. Burn blood-stained uniforms and boots of war. And then this astounding pronouncement of triumph. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. That word is there. In the New Living, they translated the passionate commitment of the Lord. The NIV says closer to the original Hebrew, the Hebrew word, uh, the root word is kinah, and it's jealousy. The jealousy of God will triumph. Will co- that, That's what's gonna accomplish all that we read about in Isaiah 9, it's the jealousy of God will come and triumph with life over death, and rescue us and protect us. God's jealousy works to give life to protect from evil and to sustain our relationship with him, that it might flourish now and forever. Okay, so John says, so what? So how do we grab a hold of what we've just dug into a little bit in the word? How do we apply it? What does it mean for our life? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, oftentimes, uh, God uses people who love me in my life to speak God's word into my life. Good. I see other people that experience that very same thing. So I want to ask you this question this morning, just kind of be thinking about it. Who has God placed in your life to serve as a protective voice? over your relationship with God, over your relationship with others? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it is your spouse. Maybe it's a good friend. Maybe it's a pastor. Do you have someone in your life who's gonna call you out? Do you have someone who will say, hey, you know, I think you're getting a little close to the fire that's gonna burn. I've had people in my life and I know it was hard on them to do it, but they've done it and I've been forever grateful. We have to have those voices who will speak into our lives to warn us of what could entangle us, what could entrap us in ways that they do not want for us, what could damage our relationship with God. Now on the other end, some voices in our lives are gonna say, oh, don't worry about it, it's all good one of my least favorite sayings of the last two decades, it's all good. No, it's not. It's not all good. And we're not all good. Well, I don't know about somebody, but I'm not all good. You know what we are good at, though? Self-deception. So we need those voices in our lives, people who love us, who will call us out and say, hey, I'm concerned about this in your life. At the other extreme in our lives, seem to be more of these voices sometimes and I think for young people especially, there are those voices who are gonna urge you in a different direction. Oh, come on, take that next drink, come on, one more. Try that designer drug. Oh, come on, your spouse doesn't need to know everything about your relationships with other people. Those kind of voices, those are dangerous voices to listen to. When our life, when the most important relationships of our life are on the line, we need people who will tell us and keep us close. Here's a question for, and one more question for us as we pull this this message into our life today. And this question is a question for the art table. After you come to communion this morning and you kinda wander through the room, stop by and write the answer to this question on a little piece of paper because our artists are using those papers every week to incorporate into this impactful piece of art up here on the emotions of God, okay? So stop by, write this down. Here's your question for this morning. If God's jealous love protects, how are you welcoming God's voice into your life? because it's great to have other people who speak for God, but nobody speaks for God like God. So be sure that there's an end to your life, a way that you're receiving God's word, because those distractions today are mind-boggling. We could easily spend the rest of our lives distracted, preoccupied, entertained, and enticed not to hear a word from God's lips, So how are you making space to hear God's voice? I know that the Bible can be a confusing book sometimes. I know that the Bible can even downright be disturbing. And I think that we have to have the freedom to be able to process that, to struggle with it, to be honest about it. Yet there is no other written word infused with God's Holy Spirit to warn, to teach, to encourage like this book. There is no other written work that has the recommendations of millions of lives changed because of what they've read there than the Bible. So I'm going to invite you again and again. I know Mike and John are doing the same. Get into God's Word. I know that they're taking a break for summer, but they'll be full back on in the fall, I encourage you, if you're not part of a women's Bible study or men's Bible study, join New Hope. They've got great things going in studying the Bible together. Or if that's not for you, there's Rooted, a 10-week program. It's kind of the faith basics or a refresher of faith. Both of those kind of opportunities help you be accountable to getting in the word and studying it with other people, and if you have uh, questions as you read, don't suffer alone. Let's talk about those. If you, if you have questions, call John. <laughs> if you have harder questions, call Mike. <laughs> no, anybody on pastoral staff would be more than delighted to talk with you about what you're reading in the word and where are you stumbling, where are you struggling, what questions do you have? We may not have all the answers, but we'll struggle with you and we'll help you work through those issues. One of the most biblical books on godly jealousy and love is the Old Testament book of Hosea. I'm gonna close uh, with this with some thoughts on that. I will never forget reading this book for the first time as a teenager. Just blew my mind, just mind-blown, this book. (laughs) And then I read another mind-blowing book based on this book, which is Francine Rivers' book, Redeeming Love. I highly recommend that. I have used it with women I've worked with before whose lives have been deeply impacted by that novel, based on Hosea, I'm gonna give you a warning though, it is a hard read and there is uh, abuse in it, there is human trafficking, it is, it's gut-wrenching. I bawled my eyes out reading that. But here's why I'm bringing up Hosea. <clears throat> For any of us who have been enticed off the path, entrapped where we wish we weren't, Believing that it's too late, God is done with me. Hosea says, Not so fast. Not once. Oh, if you don't know the book, if you don't know what the Hosea is about, Hosea is a prophet who has a wife who is completely unfaithful. To their marriage vows. Can you imagine being a pastor or a prophet, and your spouse is blatantly ugly, unfaithful to you? That's what the story of Hosea is about. And yet, God can tells this prophet, "Take her back. Take go woo her back. Woo her again to you. Bring her back into your home." God, by the way, this is not a marriage manual. Okay, just saying. <laughs> Don't read it as a marriage manual, because what this story is really about is God and his people. It's about a faithful God who stayed faithful to Israel and remains faithful to us who are in relationship with him no matter what. We're always struggling with unfaithfulness. We've all wandered off the path, and God calls us back, and it's our choice to come back. And every time we do, he is there. God says, my name is Jealous. God claims two names for himself, love and jealousy. It's part of who he is. And his is a jealousy that always protects, always restores, and always forgives amen Amen. let's pray together our loving god it um, it really is mind-blowing that you desire relationship with us and never stop desiring relationship with us so i hope it's the voice and the prayer of every heart in this room that we could just look to you and say thank you And ask you to be that voice that continues to pull us back, continue to woo us, continue to woo your world back into relationship with you. Continue to be that love and that jealous, protective eye over our lives. We recommit to you as you so willingly recommit to us. In the name of Jesus, amen.